Hey man, can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? I can. How you doing? Uh, I'm a little tired. It's been a long day, but uh, I'm good. How are you? Man, I'm doing great. Uh, just got done training uh, some leg locks at the gym, and now on onto a podcast or two. Yep, that's kind of where we were. We were doing some uh, butterfly guard to nice. uh, some single leg X, and then. Uh, chilling out at the house for the rest of the day so i don't uh burn myself out for sure right on man yeah that's uh we're working on some uh x card to the same uh, leg entanglement so a lot of fun very cool which you know that's like why i contacted you so we could talk about that kind of stuff honestly uh jonathan so i appreciate you being willing to come on the show and and talk about some martial arts with me you know, you're the very first person I trained judo with. Did not know that. I wasn't even aware. Yeah, uh, yeah, mean, yeah. actually. Like so, okay, so I in 2009, you and uh, – so Dan Dring had like a camp, right? It was like a Friday-Saturday deal or something like that. And I got my blue belt on Friday night in jiu-jitsu. And then Saturday morning at like 9 a.m., you taught uh judo and like you and willie and jory and mr dring were all teaching uh and i broke my collarbone at the judo seminar you're kidding <laughs> <laughs> then i was like man i'm gonna get a black belt in this too right on yeah yeah I but i mean you know do what i wasn't aware of that at all i must have totally slipped my mind when uh I'm sure I observed the injury, uh, but I don't know why that's not ringing a bell. And the funny part is, is that collarbones are probably, and you know this, the, the most common injuries in the world when it comes to judo, just because you know, lack of experience in falling and whatnot. So my assumption is that that must have been like your first real exposure. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, we were training, uh, we're doing like Hogoshis or, or something. Well, I am happy to hear that you didn't let that uh 
take it the other direction because <laughs> most guys give up on it. Um, you know, my experience really quite honestly is, is that I think you and I would agree. And a lot, there's a high percentage of people that are in grappling arts to begin with that would agree with this. If you don't have a takedown, you don't have a foundation because you know, 90% of fights end up on the ground, but 100% of them start standing up. And if, even if we're just talking about grappling arts, you got to have a way of getting them down. If you're a really good wrestler, I encourage that. I say, don't not do what you do. If you're good at judo, do what you do. But uh, you got to have something. And I have found that jujitsu practitioners in general are exceptionally resistant on takedowns. I have no idea why. You know, I, I got onto that really early on in my training, too. And I will say, like, at that seminar, I remember you just, like, really kind of leading off talking about MMA. And you were like, hey, you know, like, here's how I set up some of my judo throws in MMA. And that, that blew my mind. I was like, well, I've never even thought about any of this, like, weaving a hook and then throwing a guy. Like, you know, I mean, I was just maybe three years into my martial arts journey at that time. But. I remember getting super interested in judo after that, and I, I, I still am. I was trying to do Waza this morning in uh, morning cool. class. You know, I, everybody who does what we do, I think they have their own – we all had our own foundation, our own building blocks of how we got where we are today. And for me in particular, and I'm sure uh, other guys in our affiliation, Mr. Dring, uh, folks like that, taekwondo karate whatever i just knew i wanted to be in martial arts but i saw this thing i was probably 24 years old called ufc one and i was like a karate brown belt or something like that and i said to myself i've wasted my life you know here i am at 24 thinking my life's over um but instead of that sort of like you're saying as far as getting you know a collarbone busted and getting right back into it I said, well, I got to obviously join the team. I got to figure out what these guys are doing and why it's so special and, and be part of that. At that time, you know, Aikido was a big deal. Steven Seagal movies were top notch. Uh, we had a guy who was in the same shopping center or strip mall, I guess it was, that we were training karate at. And he was a national judo champion. Now, he was considerably older at that point, but um, – he said, hey, I'd love to come out and start teaching, say, one day a week and, you know, just kind of adding to what you guys do. That guy is Sensei Lee Person, um, quick shout out to him, who called me last week, just an aside, and he is getting inducted to the Judo Hall of Fame. Oh, uh, wow. he called, yeah, it was a big deal because I hadn't seen the guy in probably 15 years, and he just called me out of the blue and said, hey, you're one of the guys that, you know, I know – was in my social circle and I just figured I'd share this with you. He, I don't know how old Lee is now, but uh, he, he's up there. Um, but he's still, you know, trying to stay active and uh, hopefully I'll get him out at my gym at some point. But anyway, judo was the, the springboard because you had your break falls, you had your takedown ability and you had your mat work. Well, it just kind of happened that at the time UFC and jujitsu in general got big that was what I was exposed to. And I sort of did the that's close enough approach. You know, I mean, hey, it's better than nothing. It gives me a start. And then we started working on the ground techniques, refining them, making them better. But, you know, I always had that in my mind. I've got to learn this takedown. I've got to learn how to get the guys to the mat in the first place so I can do what I want to do. If my mat works good, 
how am I going to get them there and start this to begin with? So I was in a unique position where I started with the takedowns and segued to the mat work, where I think a lot of guys do the exact reverse. We start on the mat, usually sitting on a rear, usually starting in a butterfly or something like that. And then the next thing you know, they're like, okay, so what do you do when the match starts? Oh, we stand up, we touch, and we go. Oh, well, how do I get them down here? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, that's the, along the same lines of, I mean, I, I went that way. Like, I, I found myself doing jujitsu and striking and having – and it, training MMA, but really had not having a single or a double or anything. And it was really judo where I first started developing, uh, you know, a takedown game, per se. Well, you know, there's an old adage that I that I heard once that I liked. And, you know, basically, you know, if you don't have martial arts training and you're looking at doing something and you're like, yeah, but I live in this small town and all they have is this or that. And it's not the perfect martial art that you wanted to do. I would tell folks, hey, do something over nothing right? You know, I mean, have a foundation and if you find a chance to swear or do something else down the road, that's cool. But we're all creatures of habit. So after the judo started being kind of my, my go-to, I used to wrestle in high school probably for like one season and uh, had really bad grades, got paddled by the coach, quit, never did it again. And I look back at that and I go, gosh, I wonder how good I could have possibly been. I might have been terrible uh, if I stuck with it. But the judo, on the other hand, I stuck with that. And I tell guys all the time, if you're good at other grappling arts, you're great at your double legs and single legs, by God, do them. But at the same time, the judo's right. I'm, I'm old dog. You know, that's just kind of what I like to do. I keep it where I'm comfortable. So, so you get it. So this is about uh, your karate brown belt. You find judo. You start mixing, mixing the two arts together, developing sort of a MMA style. When did you get into fighting? I just saw your highlight reel. I shared it on the podcast page. Very nice. Uh, thank you. That was uh, we got a really good kid, Drew, a uh, wonderful guy who's uh, doing a lot of our video editing. And I had sent off a bunch of old tapes just to kind of get digitalized so I had that footage and so I could keep it and he said I can do something with this I said awesome do that so you know the big two things again you know I, I we're talking about judo but Muay Thai was a big one and in the summer of 1996 my whole family is living in Las Vegas Nevada they still do now um, I went for about five weeks to a Novi Now Jiu-Jitsu school uh, John Lewis, who was one of Andre Pedneris's first black belts, uh, kind of a big deal because he was a, a early pioneer in the whole MMA world. You know, his fights, you know, to this day are some of my favorite things to watch. And um, I spent five weeks at his school. And then right down the road was Master Toddy's Muay Thai. Master Toddy was, uh, you know, he trained Gina Carano, all those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, both of these guys. I'd go to jiu-jitsu for a couple hours drive down the road go to Thai boxing um and do that every day for like five weeks but I was of course you know about your age or younger is my point I could do all that I couldn't do it now came back to Memphis Tennessee by the beginning of that fall and I said I'm ready to start being a fighter so I think I think historically I kind of lucked out in the sense that hey here's a guy who's got motivation to take this somewhere where it's still a fledgling sport but he had the blessing of a judo background a little bit of striking he accentuated that with some tie boxing 
he started really turning it up with his jujitsu and it just kind of all kind of came together. Now guys train differently now. And I think by today's standards, a lot of what I was doing might be a little dated. Some of it's not, some of it's quite relevant, but, um, but it really worked for that time in history. So at what point uh, did you start getting into, so like when I first met you, um, you, you'd stepped out not too long after that, but I know you'd been owning a school for a long time. At what point did you first get into to coaching athletes and did you competing kind of become an extension of uh, into your coaching? You know, uh, communication is a big part of instruction. If you can't explain something to someone, then you can't, you know, how they're going to learn it. Uh, you can't break it down. And where I was working at the time, I was working for a guy named Jeff Mullen. He, uh, he's pretty big in Memphis area. I believe he's now the uh, head of the athletic commission for Las Vegas is the last I heard. But great guy, uh, great mentor, brought me along a long ways. He was a, you know, karate guy, did some kickboxing in the 70s, early 80s and whatnot. But the one thing that he always had going for him was he was smart enough to know, hey, this is where the wind's blowing. Maybe we want to go this direction. And if we go this direction, let's do it right. Well, once I got to about that brown belt level, I, I wanted to be more valuable, I guess it was. And I found that when I explained things to people and broke it down, I actually got better at it. So I asked him, can I have a job? Can I start working here? And can I start teaching just so I can, in my mind, benefit myself? But in the long run, I actually found out as a side effect, I like teaching. So I start teaching kids classes, some adult classes, doing what I do. Um, and then I just started asking, can I start doing a judo class? Can I start doing a mat class? And at that time, you know, we had no belt structures. We had nothing else. We were just kind of piecing it together. But over time, it turned into something. And, you know, as, as I kept competing, I like to see other guys make that journey and say, hey, you know, let's see how far you can take this. Nice, nice. Yeah. So at what point did you get, and you may mention this, and I just, just may miss it, but at what point did you get involved with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? You mentioned training at uh, going to this Vegas school, training with John Lewis. You, you get involved with BJJ around the same time. Is all this going down? It was all the same time, and actually, you know, it obviously it started prior to going to Vegas. What had happened is, again, you know, doing some mat work, doing the judo, doing whatever. At that time, you know, now you and I will go to a clinic, you and I will go to an event, and there's 10 black belts on the mat. And uh, 25 years ago, that if you, if you ran into a legitimate blue belt, that was a huge deal. Uh, you looked at that guy like, like gold and you wanted to have everything he had knowledge wise, suck it out of his brain and put it in yours. So we started like inviting people for clinics. Another thing that Jeff Mullen was really good about is inviting a lot of really renowned instructors. He brought in, uh, Hoyce Gracie, Hanzo Gracie, Gokort Chibichian, uh, a few other guys, but at somewhere in that time frame, um, we got to meet. Danny Dring, who I hadn't known before, and uh, he was bringing down some really cool guys. He was doing probably a similar idea, saying, hey, this is where we're going with this in the future of martial arts. That might be a good way to start going and, uh, and learn this and do it right. 
And he started bringing in some pretty solid guys, Tony Emmanuel being one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, when Tony started coming in, he would say, hey, I'm going to drive him to Memphis. If you guys would like to have him for a few days, he'd make a few bucks and you guys can learn some stuff. Well, he was Novi now. And once we got to a point where we sort of kind of knew what we were doing and I decided I was going to go off to Vegas, John Lewis, he was Novi now. So it was like, it seemed like a natural fit. Um, and since that was the majority of my early training was with that team, you know, that's kind of where the jiu-jitsu kind of came from. But a lot of things just kind of happened all at once. And in hindsight, I got to say, it's kind of blur now what came first. I just know it all happened so fast it snowballed. Yeah, you know, I've been uh, I've been talking with Dring about all his uh, different martial arts backgrounds, like Joe Lewis and uh, Bill Wallace and, and he'll like backtrack. He's like, wait, let me think about these dates for a second. Because, I mean, we're talking about stuff in like the 70s and 80s. You, you know, I mean, he's like digging deep back in the chest on a lot of these questions. Yeah, it, 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 well, I mean, that's the thing. It's like time gives you some perspective and it takes a lot of the work to um, <laughs> Interesting aside, first clinic I think I ever did was, uh, was a Joe Lewis clinic. I was like a yellow belt in karate and it was probably oh. 1991 or something. Wow. Uh, the first time I ever had any exposure to somebody of that level. And uh, that was kind of a fun thing. Yeah, I never got to train with him. But yeah, we did a whole episode just talking about Joe Lewis and the Joe's fight systems and what it was like training with him. And, you know, I've got to train with Bill Wallace a little bit, but uh, I missed out on that other uh, uh, that opportunity to train with Joe. It's unfortunate, but, you know, it is what it is. Hey, at least I got you guys. Pass yeah. it on. We'll do the best we can to share. Yeah. So, you know, when I first, um, you know, when I first met you, like I mentioned, you were, you were coaching and then I, you, you got kind of stopped coaching for a few years and then you got back involved. I know you started coaching over to UFC gym and now you are coaching, uh, you're in your own location, border martial arts Academy. And it's huge. I hadn't been there yet, but, uh, what can you tell me about that? Uh, well, I'll, how to go about this. Basically, um, I was teaching in a really nice location from about 1999 to about 2012, um, but I had some, let's just say internal conflicts, external conflicts, and a lot of things were just kind of happening to me. It was just a weird period of time where I said, you know, I might have to take a step away from this for a little while. And, uh, that's kind of what I ended up doing and ultimately found a second career, uh, in law enforcement. And that was just something that, uh, I never saw myself doing. But I uh, ended up going that route. It's been good for me. I've enjoyed it a lot. Then the whole while that was going on, I'm in the back of my mind, that whole, you know, you know who you really are. You need to be on this mat. You need to be hitting something. You need to be doing something else. Uh, I kept looking for kind of a backdoor way to get back into that. So there's a lot of schools in the area, but there was a guy named Chip Baldeen, good friend, who reached out to me. He had a small school and he said, hey, can come out here and work out whenever you want. Here's the key. Uh, I taught for him a little bit, trained a little bit, just kind of kept my foot in the door. And then uh, shortly after that, uh, there was a local UFC gym that had opened up and I said, hey, maybe this is a way that I can just kind of part time stay doing what I'm doing. So I approached them, they liked what I had to offer, stuck that out for about five years, and then uh, 
decided it was time to kind of step it up a notch. So I had assembled a pretty good crew of uh, trusted, you know, comrades, teammates, whatnot, who said, we want to take this to the next level. And that's what we did. We opened a sizable gym uh, in a very nice location and said, hey, let's, let's make this into something it really should be. Because I guess I had always kind of half-assed it for lack of a better description you know uh i liked teaching i would give 100 percent for that but as far as like the marketing and the uh, you know, all the other aspects of the business that we know is part of that you and i we probably wake up every day and go i just want to train i just want to teach and then you realize oh my gosh i got to do quarterly taxes i've got to do inventory yeah. You know, the stuff that, that, that's unfortunate realities, but it's not our first choice. It's not what we want to do. So. Yeah, that's the, the major downers for me, too. I mean, I'm fortunate that I have Cora, and then we have another girl, Hannah, that's awesome, at, like running our front desk side of everything, you know. Uh, but I face the same thing with, like, I teach college now, too. And I, I love teaching, but, man, they make me do a lot of other bullshit that I do not enjoy. <laughs> You know, and that's, I guess that's the thing. Nobody likes to do, when it becomes actual work, I used to joke and say, when this stops being fun, I don't want to do it anymore. Uh, I've Now at this point in my life, it's fun again. And uh, I'm going to just keep going until I burn out. Heck yeah. So, you know, you mentioned, and this is something I wanted to talk to you about, because I didn't know when you got involved with law enforcement. I knew that you were. Um you know, a lot of jujitsu guys I talked to, like Mr. Dream, Caleb. I had a guy that, that got started submissions 101. He's in Canada, but law enforcement also. Right. And but this seems to be something that uh, I see a lot of martial artists. Uh, Willie, Willie's another example. Get involved with law enforcement. Did that seem to be a natural progression for you? You know, and again, uh, yes and no. What had happened is I had some fighters, I had some athletes that had trained with me that went that direction. They were in law enforcement and they said, you know what, this might be something you could do. And I was, um, I was 41 when I started law enforcement. And so it, it, it's, you know, it's a really different thing when you have spent 41 years, you know, not being suspicious of everybody, uh, not being that guy you know, to suddenly go, oh, I'm going to be suspicious of everybody and I'm this and the other. You know, police officers will grab somebody and say he's guilty and do all this. And I would be that guy possibly naively, you know, going, hey, whoa, whoa, let's, let's listen to what he's got to say. Maybe maybe we're mistaken here, uh, which is not what's intuitive for a lot of law enforcement officers. I have actually found that being the reasonable guy has paid a lot of dividends in the job, you know, and, and, you know, it could lead to my detriment down the road. You gotta, you gotta always be suspicious of everybody. But, um, when I've had confrontations in that line of work, I have found that jujitsu has bailed me out <laughs> on more than one occasion. And it's been an awesome thing, even just to control, subdue, do whatever. And I'm not talking every day and all the time on the rare occasions that it's needed. It was there. And what's strange to me is that when you go through a police academy and anybody in law enforcement can tell you this is they do everything from a, we got five months, six months, 
we're going to cram all this into you. We're going to teach you law and firearms and defensive tactics and cuffing techniques and paperwork. And it's like a boot camp, but you're going to forget everything just as fast as you learned it. Wherein if I walk in with 41 years of life and 25 years of experience, I, you know, I'm looking at these guys going, you guys are just glossing over the surface here. You're not really giving these guys what I think they need. Uh, which is unfortunate. I wish there was more of a continuing education for law enforcement to kind of reinforce what they need. Uh, and I don't see that there's enough of that going on. Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of interesting, too, to think that um, you have a, a different perspective coming in later in life, having not done it. Because, um, you know, this is coming up right now uh, with this Minneapolis thing. Again, people are swirling stuff out on the social media. But, you know, I do know this, like I was thinking about this. If I was on the streets every day and like clean, finding suicides and all sorts of things that I know law enforcement uh, has to deal with, I, that would probably make me paranoid and other problems, right? Like, I, so like I'm not excusing when a law enforcement officer makes like a poor decision or something, but see the paranoia level of having, like you were saying, suspicious of everyone, you know? You know, it, it, it's part of the job. We can say whatever we want to say. Um, Memphis, Tennessee, for example, that's a yeah. primarily African-American uh, populace. Uh, the majority of the people that I work with are African-American. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm a minority in that, in that field. And it's not like, those guys are doing anything wrong. Those, they'll tell me the same thing. African-American police officers profile people too. <laughs> you know, it's not being uh, bigoted or racist so much as good police work. You know, if certain characteristics make sense, if there's certain things you're looking for, then that's just called good policing. That's not called being, you know, bigoted in my opinion. That's been my experience. But, you know, it's interesting times right now. It's just an interesting place historically. Again, I think I commented a while back, uh, and I don't know if I ever sent you a picture, but uh, I probably looked a lot more like you 25 years ago. My <laughs> hair was about down to yay. I was sure I was going to be in Metallica. Um, and I was pretty loose and uh, free-willing, fancy, fun kind of guy nothing like what I am now as far as like the people I deal with and the career I chose. The point is, is that, you know, a lot of people that would look down on law enforcement, I still look at them and say, you know, you and I would probably get along great. You know, if you didn't see me in all this, you and I would be like best friends, you know, because most of my friends are kind of wild folks, you know, and, and that's, and I don't mean that like I hang out with like irresponsible, reckless people, but, but I mean, guys that were fun. Fun, you know, fun-loving guys, not strict, not stringent, not uh, straight-laced. You know, it's just a side effect of the job. That's all it is. It's not, it doesn't change who we are as people. As a person, I'm very different than I am when I'm at work, and yet I'm not. You know, I like to be a laid-back guy. I think that's an important way to live life. Are you still working in law enforcement, or are you, are you coaching? You I am. Both? No, okay. no, I'm doing both, and uh, and it's – you know, with all the COVID-19 stuff, I will say this, you know, all gyms took a little bit of a hit. You know, we all did. It was, uh, it was not fun for anybody. And it was nice knowing that um, I was still going to have a paycheck. <laughs> My wife, she's, uh, she works in a hospital. So we had two essential 
employees, I guess we'd call them. So I, I was, I wasn't really hurting. So uh, I feel for all the people that did not have those advantages, but it also, you know, like we're talking about right now with all the protests and whatnot, there's times I'd like to give it up altogether and just run the gym and do nothing else. Now we have COVID-19 and I'm like, man, I'm sure glad I didn't just go with just the gym because I wouldn't have anything else to fall back on. So I'm in a, I'm in a decent place right now. Um, ultimately my heart's in training. I'd rather, I'd rather make that my primary, but, uh, the world being what it is, I'm just going to, take my time. I got time. I'm not in a rush to make a decision of I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket or the other. For sure. And I can, I can definitely empathize with that. Cause I mean, I did get sent home in March from the university, but I still was teaching all my classes online, still had that income coming in. And it, it was nice knowing there to be a lot of uncertainty going on with the gym. We just moved a new location uh, was- to having that other income. You know, and that was that was the funny thing. Yeah, just I, I saw that when you guys were opening up, and congratulations, by the way, it does look Thank spectacular. Uh, but that being said, all I could think was, man, for you guys, for you and Cora, I was like, man, what what unfortunate timing, you know? And you know, when things like this happen, there is no perfect time, you know. For some of us, you know, we renovated the gym while we were on quarantine. We said, you know, let's not lose this time let's make it better let's not look at this like oh we gotta consolidate and freak out and do whatever again go big or go home so uh yeah yeah, it was it was was positive for us in ways you know um i was able to get way ahead on recording video for the classes i teach at the university but we had just have you ever like been working on a house and moved into it but you weren't quite done I understand the concept. But yeah, no. like that that yeah. happened to us, for example. Like we were like trying to get new floors and stuff in and scrape the ceilings and all these things. And we moved in and all of that stopped, right? So like when we did the gym, um, it was kind of like that. So then we had like five weeks where we got all the mirrors framed. All of the projects that would have taken us literally probably two, two and a half years to do, we, d- we did it right then. So it, it was nice. We weren't pressured um with like oh we got to open by this date you know we got to be moved out of our other gym by this date so it really it kind of played in our favor in that regard and man our members were so awesome uh through this whole uh, time of uncertainty and still supporting us so it's been good ours i have too it's been a good thing uh now i'm curious uh only because i know you guys being in arkansas being a, a little bit away uh every government every state's going to do this a little bit different and as we've had our phase one, phase two of reopening and whatnot, uh, we're to a point now where we're right back on the mat. You know, we were taking temperatures, doing all that, asking the questions, saying the obvious, if you're sick or don't feel well, please don't show up. If you know somebody and you're in contact with them, are you guys doing that same kind of stuff? Are you at that same phase? Or are you ahead of us or behind us? We're a little, uh, we're, we're doing that same stuff. We're just a tad behind you guys. We start like we're there with adults and we're going to move ahead with adults like next week. And then we start kids back. Okay. See, we've started kids back, but I think that that's slowest to come back. And I'm sure that's because, Parents are freaking out. They're not comfortable yet. It's going to take some time to get them there, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and and I I am excited about the kids coming back in. We're doing two classes a day for them, but it's it's just that one. It's a big it's a big marker on the way back to um, you know business as usual. 
Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, hey, Jonathan, man, I I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. I I just kind of one of my goals with this podcast is to talk to like all the martial artists I've ever come into contact with that have uh, inspired me or that I've learned from. So, um, you're flat. Appreciate you adding to the uh, you know adding to the archive. I appreciate you doing that. Uh, asking me because uh, I, I hadn't really been involved in anything like this as far as like uh, a show or anything of this nature, and this was kind of an honor to be even at, considered in the first place. So thank you for doing that, and uh, my pleasure. Anytime. Hopefully, I can get you down here to come out and visit and uh, play on the gym sometime. Yes. Hey, well, I'm off. Uh, I'm off for the summer. So soon uh, here in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna start reaching out to people and start planning some travels. So. Please do. We'd love to have you. All right. Well, hey, have a great day, Jonathan. We'll talk to you later. I appreciate the time. Thank, thank, uh, thanks for having me. See you. Bye.